Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Thank you for joining WNJY, YPN Chapter 17's podcast for YMCA professionals of New Jersey. Today is Thursday, October 22nd, 2020, and I'm your host, Michael Reisman from the Hunterdon County YMCA. Today, we're going to talk with Leanne Wagner, Vice President of Counseling and Social Services for the Greater Monmouth County YMCA, about mental health and wellness during the coronavirus pandemic. Thanks, Leanne. How are you this morning? I'm doing all right. How are you, Mike? I'm doing very well. Thank you. So um, what I'm thinking is uh, I'd like to today, uh, at least the best that I can, have two separate yet somewhat overlapping conversations uh, about um, about the work that you do, both in terms of supporting uh, the stability, health, and emotional wellness of YMCA employees, both at your association and around the state. But then also, uh, I'm interested in hearing you discuss and share with our listeners some of the work that you the, the work that you guys are doing uh, at your association with members and families uh, in in providing social services and emotional wellness. But first, what what I want to do is acknowledge and refer to the uh, webinars that you hosted about a month ago um, with Heather Soto providing tips and resources for staff and supervisors returning to work after the New Jersey lockdowns of spring and summer of 2020. And I just want to say thank you on behalf of all of us around the state for hosting these sessions as well as making the recordings available after the fact. Uh, I did uh, listen to the the session you guys put out about for supervisors supporting staff returning to work uh, in the pandemic, and um, and I really appreciated a, a lot of a lot of what you offered there, and um, might even refer to some of my notes from that in our conversation. So my first question about that for those of for any listeners who haven't participated or heard uh, those those webinars or sessions, just give a quick little overview of, of what that was about. Um, and then I'll ask you about um, how, how they were received and the feedback that you got. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the YPN networks came around um, or came about after a request from um, the YPN kind of saying, you know, how can we support our staff during this time? Um, and the, the nice part is, is RY has this fantastic counseling branch um, where we have many experts in the field that were able to provide some resources. And the first one we did, actually, we, we reached out to the HR network because um, my HR director came to us and said, you know, could you offer some support? The HR uh, directors and chiefs are really struggling. And so we kind of did a one-off with them real quick just to provide them with some support, acknowledge that this is a really difficult time. Um, talk a lot about self-care and how do you manage the stressors and and how do you, you know, take care of yourself while you're trying to take care of everybody else. Um, and that went over really well. And then that resulted into this three-part webinar series, um, you know, where we were able to really kind of review, like, all of us have this one thing in common. The thread that keeps all of us together in this experience is that we're all living in crisis and in uncertainty. All of us are managing this really remarkable time where we don't know what's next. And we're in this constant state of change and this constant state of, of unknowing what happens next. Um, and each of us experiences both professional and personal challenges along the way. And how do we, how do we validate that for one another? How do we support one another in that process? 
um, and how do we get through it in a healthy way? Um, and so my colleague Heather and I um, developed these three-part series that were geared specifically to certain staff. So, you know, staff returning to work who had been laid off, um, to supervisors, specifically on how do you talk to your staff, how do you engage them around this, um, and then for staff who have worked constantly throughout the pandemic, you know, some of us have been very blessed to stay employed through this process. Me and my team have not taken days off for the most part um, and have worked straight through the pandemic um, because we're considered essential staff in mental health. And so we just kind of quickly shifted gears from how we typically work to how we work now um, and continue to do the work that we do. Um, and so, you know, even our own staff need to, to be kind of empowered because it's exhausting. Um, you know, and so in the three-part series, some of the things that we discussed were, you know, loss and what does that look like? Because it's the loss of, you know, people that it is an illness, it's a pandemic. You know, we've, we, we discussed and reviewed, you know, loss of places, loss of freedom, loss of employment, um, what that feels like and how it's experienced. Uh, we, we did a lot of work around, you know, what's the difference between anxiety and stress um, and how, what coping skills can you use to manage that and how do you encourage people to, to speak about it, right? Um, we talked a lot about the fear of the unknown. You know, for most of us, change is incredibly uncomfortable. Um, I don't know anybody who thrives on change and loves to have to go through it, but all of us are living in a moment of change at this time. Um, you know, and kind of how do we educate people on how to discuss and share feelings around fear? Um, one of the things that we spoke about consistently was, you know, in a high times of stress and anxiety when everybody's experiencing it both professionally and personally, you know, the concept of just having grace, having grace with one another, acknowledging that we're all doing the best we can with what we have on any given day, you know, and just have, giving everybody just a little bit of grace because it's, it's a really difficult time, you know, and when we're all kind of caught up in what's going on in the world, I think we lose sight of that and we forget, you know, and our own frustrations get in the way, we get irritated with one another. Um, and so that was a constant and common theme through all three of the webinars is this concept of just having grace, taking a deep breath, we're all in this together, we'll all get through this together, you know, and, and how can we support one another through this? Um, and one of the other things that we really highlighted a lot was, you know, modeling self-care, you know, and, and modeling behaviors as supervisors and as managers, you know, making this part of the everyday conversation. For us in the counseling world, when I meet with my staff, the first question I ask them is, is how are you guys doing? What's the temperature? Where are you at? One to 10? You know, do you need to vent? What can I help you with? Where do you need support? Like it is a part of our culture. It's what we do all the time. And so we start all of our meetings with a check-in. Um, and I don't know if that is the common norm for the majority of the other parts of the branches. Um, and so kind of modeling what that looks like and the importance of giving people the space to share. You know, colleagues and friends and, and family and peers don't always want you to answer and don't always want you to solve the problem for them, but they just need a listening ear. They need to feel supported. They need to feel like there's empathy, you know, and acknowledging like, to even appear, hey, you know, you did a really great job on that, or hey, you you just you just don't seem like yourself, or you're doing all right, you know, giving them the opportunity to have a check in, like, yeah, no, this really sucks right now, and uh, I'm not doing great, but thanks for noticing. Um, so that was really like 
the overall focus of the three webinars is this concept of how do you open communication? How do you encourage people to share about feelings? How do you make it safe for them? Um, and then modeling self-care, you know, how we as managers, how we show up for our staff directly impacts how they show up for us. You know, so if we're working 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and we're not taking care of ourselves, our staff don't think that they can either. You know, so if we are taking a day off and taking a vacation day, you know, or taking a break to go get something to eat or going for a walk or whatever it is we need to do to take care of ourselves, our staff then are empowered to do the same thing and feel like, you know, it's okay for them. And that's what we want for them. We want them to take care of themselves so they can help us take care of our members and our participants and so on and so forth. Um, and so through this whole pandemic, every time I talk to my staff, I say, have you taken a day off? When are you taking a day off? I think it's, I think it would be in your best interest to take a day off. Everybody needs a day off. We cannot work around the clock. And the majority of us during this pandemic have shifted how we work and we work more hours than we ever have before. Our jobs have changed immensely. The jobs that we used to do are like long gone. And now we are just chameleons and we do whatever we need to do to make sure that we can continue to move forward as an association. And for a lot of people that is exhausting, um, you know? And so we spent a lot of time kind of validating feelings and empathizing with the struggle and empowering people to share about those feelings and, and utilize coping skills for how do you manage that going forward? Thank you. Um, so um, I, I could probably edit that clip out independent of any of the rest of our conversation and send it out to all associations across wise um, and and supervisors and staff alike would would benefit just from that synopsis that you just gave. Tell me how how has how have the how has the information in the webinars been received and what kind of feedback have you gotten from folks who participated in terms of the impact that 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 information and 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 help has had on their work lives, you know it, it's funny that you asked that question because in the moment when we have the webinars, obviously at the end there's always you know the chat box and everybody has been so grateful um, for the opportunity just to have a place to I guess get some feedback on how to manage and, and get some self care and just some overall mental health knowledge and explanation. Um, but I don't think, because I've done this for 20 years, you know, I know it's impactful, but I, I eat, sleep and breathe it. It's a part of who I am and what I do. Um, and so I think I probably take for granted how helpful it can sometimes be. And it was actually this morning that a colleague came to me and said, you know, I hope that you know that what you do is impactful. And I had three of my staff sit on one of your webinars and they came back to me and we had a lengthy conversation about how helpful it was and how it was nice to, you know, just the fact that we were empathetic and that the authenticity of caring comes through and how they felt that they could take the information that was shared and actually utilize it in their, their day-to-day practice. Um, and that they didn't realize that, you know, self-care is actually such an important part of being able to manage stress and manage life. Um, you know, and so for Heather and I, we do this all the time. This is a part of, like I said, we eat, sleep and breathe it every day. And so while we're grateful to get, you know, the appreciation and, and everybody in the webinar has been like, this is great. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. We're sharing it with all of our teams and it's been really well received. Um, I think we just take it at face value that that's what it is. And it wasn't until a colleague mentioned it to me this morning that I went, wow, this is really far more impactful than I 
had anticipated it would be. I'm sure that that um, it's really great to hear that feedback and and get that acknowledgement. One of the things that you talked about in the webinar that that I watched was about um, validating and acknowledging the work of staff and how important that is. And I think as supervisors, it's 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 hard to determine. I think sometimes the value of that simple like eye-to-eye verbal acknowledgement of the work that they're doing because I always feel like like I could I could walk around my department all day thanking my staff for the work that they're doing. I work with with families and young children in early childhood education and the work that RY staff does with our kids and families is is so positive and so life affirming and so valuable to the community. I feel like I could go through the classrooms day in and day out thanking them, and that there that it might be. It's like um, I I know I feel authentic about it, but is it coming across authentically? Because there isn't some kind of material acknowledgement attached to it. We have conversations at the senior level in my association about what we can do to acknowledge the staff who have been putting all these hours in and putting all this energy in with families during this questionable and uncertain time. Should we be providing lunch? Should we be getting them more work swag? Um, what what else can should we be doing? Um, and, and to hear you say, you know, just making sure that you're acknowledging them face to face that goes a long way. I'm sure that the same is true for you and for you to get that kind of feedback from staff um, is, is as affirming for you, despite the fact that you live and breathe it every day. Yeah. I, it's humbling to, you know, to hear that, you know, I've dedicated my life to this work. This is all I know how to do. Um, and I've known that this is what I wanted to do with my life for as long as I can remember. So you know, I think you just kind of like, I just take for granted that this is what I do and I enjoy every bit of it. And so, you know, to hear that it is actually as impactful as I would hope it is, is, is definitely a humbling thing. And, you know, I, I definitely appreciated the feedback and did not expect that this morning in my conversation at all, which is why it's ironic that you happened to ask about it today. Well, great. Timing is everything. So it's been, it's exactly a month since the last uh, staff returning to work webinar that you guys did. It feels like it's been longer than that. Um, I feel like time is moving very slowly uh, right now. That, that being said, even in that month, I believe that our coronavirus influenced sociocultural landscape has changed. Um, do you see the same thing? And if, if so, or even if not, how, how ha- has things changed since that time? And, and what, would you, what would you imagine is, would be the next webinar that you would provide? There was, a lot of these were about coming back to work or coping with working from home or coping with, you know, unfortunately, either being laid off or having been laid off. Where where are we in that now? What would you see the next the next topic, the next chapter in your continuity of advice? You no, know, I think that the next chapter is really kind of a, 
a concept of maintenance. Like how do we maintain, right? I don't think that any of us could have imagined that when we started this journey back in March that we'd be here in the middle to end of October going, oh yeah, we're still in this. And that there's really very little movement. And while there's been some improvements, the majority of us still feel the stress of living in this crisis and this pandemic, you know, the frustration of simple things like our kids not being able to go to school five days a week for a whole day and not being able to go out to dinner um, because there's only 25% capacity. There's only, you know, indoor dining, outdoor dining, um, you know, the stress of just not of being told what you can and cannot do and how to live your life. You know, they're already projecting about, you know, simple things like the things people look forward to. The Macy's Day Parade is not going to be what it used to be. New Year's Eve this year is not going to be what it has ever been. It's going to be a virtual event, right? So when you start to try and wrap your head around the fact that we're now projecting that many months into the future, that we're not going to be back to what we would like to refer to as normal, you know, the concern is, is where are people finding the joy? You know, you can't vacation outside of the state of New Jersey because if you leave, you have to come back and quarantine for 14 days along with many other states, you know? So there's this piece of, you know, people have been resilient for a really long time. People have been trying really hard to maintain, but now it's this piece of maintenance for self-care and maintenance for stress management and where else can you find the joy? Because right now, people need to find some joy. People need to exhale and feel like it's going to be okay and it's going to get better because we are seven months into this and it is feeling daunting and it is feeling saturating and it is, it is exhausting and people want something to look forward to. And usually the holidays, even with all of the chaos that comes with that, is something that brings people joy. You go right from Thanksgiving straight to the new year and it's all of this excitement and we're already being told, yeah, we're not doing that this year. Okay, so what do, what do people have to look forward to? So the concept of, you know, adjusting and accepting that this is where we're at and how do I maintain in it and where do I find the joy? Like, it has to be an internal thing at this point and where do I find it and how do I harness it and how do I use it to keep me grounded and moving forward? So I think that that would probably be the next version of a webinar. Do, do, you, do you think you'll do it? <laughs> I feel like we probably have to now, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry for putting you on the spot with that. But while I'm putting you on the spot, I'm going to put you on the spot again. And I'm going to ask you if you can answer this question as cut and dry as possible. What is the difference between stress and anxiety? Well, stress is an external factor, right? We stress about deadlines. We stress about, you know, what's next. We stress about, I have too many, too many things to do and not enough time to do it in, right? So stress is an external thing that impacts you, right? And so the anxiety is the internal reaction. You know, typically stress and anxiety go hand in hand, but anxiety is an internal reaction to a feeling. So a feeling of fear, a feeling of stress, you know, for a lot of people, when you're anxious, um, you can't sleep, you have racing thoughts, you are easily agitated. Um, and it's harder to resolve anxiety than it is to resolve stress. Stress is one of those things that once the task is done, typically the stress goes away because the task or the external factor that's causing you stress is eliminated. So right now living in this pandemic, 
most people are experiencing a combination of stress and anxiety and the symptoms mirror one another because of the nature of what we're in, right? So this, this concept of people are not sleeping well. Well, we're stressed because our external environment is, is not causing us, is causing us you know, to not be able to stress and to, to worry about what, what's gonna come next and, and how are we gonna you know, pay the bills and how are we going to you know, help kids when we can only have five in a room. Um, so there's that external stressors and they're not really going away. And then there's the internal reaction to we're living in a pandemic and there's fear um, about what's next and how are things constantly going to be changing. And so people are typically irritated and not sleeping well. Um, you know, they are kind of short tempered. There is this internal like shakiness where people just don't feel grounded and don't have this sense of calm. You know, I, I joke all the time for anybody who has known me for a long time knows that I loathe running. It is the one thing in the world that I absolutely hate. And I have been known to say, you know, throughout my life, the only time you will catch me running if there's somebody chasing me and I'm pretty confident that uh, I can't turn around and defend myself adequately. Um, but during this whole pandemic, the thing that has gotten that grounds me now is I run, which is ironic because I loathe it. And as I do it, I still loathe it. Um, but it's the thing that helps relieve it's the physical release of stress and anxiety, you know? And for a lot of people, it's what are you doing to kind of manage that? How do you manage that? And so for me, I'm a physical person. I need to do something physical, but for some people it can be yoga. For some people it can be deep breathing, um, you know, but stress and anxiety really are not good for the body at all. Um, they typically will affect, you know, weight loss or weight gain. They typically affect um, digestive issues or, you know, it just, it kind of manifests itself if you carry it too much. Um, so the thought process of what are you doing to manage the stress and anxiety? How are you taking care of yourself? Are you, are you going out and doing something physical? Are you releasing that stress and anxiety? Um, are you eating healthy, right? In times of high, high stress and anxiety, people typically turn to, you know, indulgent kind of foods um, and they overindulge in alcohol, which also does not do well for the body. It's, it's not rest really the best best way to manage that, but it gives us comfort. So food and beverage often provides comfort in times of high stress and anxiety, yet it also then has the adverse effect of, you know, sometimes our pants get too tight, we have digestive issues, stuff like that. So it's this, all of these things are happening to us at once. We're emotionally drained, we're overwhelmed, we're stressed, we're anxious, and what are we doing for it? You know, so my advice would be, you know, go for a run. For anybody who hates running, I'm with you. Um, go for a walk, go for a hike, go for a bike ride, do something, go do yoga, do Pilates, whatever it is that gets you out of your head long enough to exhale and allow your body to release the stress and the toxins that it carries is going to make you feel better. Thank you, thank you. And thank you for touching on on, on some of the things that that you know are healthy ways to respond to both stress and anxiety. Um, so let's shift the conversation a little bit um, and talk about uh, your work at Greater Monmouth. And so if you could tell if you could tell us about your workload and, and your charge and your position there, um, I think uh, I think it, I think it'd be really interesting to hear that background. Absolutely. you know I am truly grateful and, and blessed. Um, I've been with, the YMCA of Greater Monmouth County, which was the community YMCA when I started 
um, almost 14 years ago. And I say all the time that I truly grew up in my career here at the Y. Um, you know, I've been in my career for 20 years and I, prior to coming to the Y, I had a lot of inpatient and um, drug rehab, partial hospital experience. Um, and then I landed here after my first son was born doing in-home work for the Y and it was supposed to be a bridge. And here I am 14 years later as the vice president. And I'm like, wow, like where does the time fly? Um, I now have three Y kids that have grown up in the Y, which is not something that I ever had as a child. Um, it wasn't even something I was familiar with. So when you start working with the Y and you hear, you know, everybody has a Y story. I'm like, well, I don't. Well, now I do because I have three Y kids who, you know, all learned how to swim and went to camp and they come volunteer at the Y. It's like part of our culture, part of how we live as a family at this point. Um, you know, so, but I digress. You know, I started in the Y here for 13, 14 years ago in one of our in-home programs doing in-home intensive counseling. Um, and after I did that for a couple of years, it led to an opportunity in the adult intensive outpatient program for addictions. Um, I am duly licensed. Actually, my preference is working in addictions. It's what I'm most passionate about. Um, and I worked in that position for about six years and the director for outpatient um, was retiring and I had an opportunity. And so I stepped into that role um, and I was given the opportunity to grow into that role because I probably was not ready for it when I took it, but I was lucky enough to still get it. Um, and I did that until uh, my predecessor moved on to another opportunity and I was able to take over as vice president. Um, and the work that we do here is just unique um, because we have three different branches. Uh, the Counseling and Social Sur Services branches is made up of the Bayshore Family Success Center, which is um, kind of like our prevention and outreach branch. We do a lot of community-based grassroots kind of work there. Um, you know, Santa breakfasts, stuff like that. We have a baby pantry through there. We help families if they're having problems with uh, utilities and rental and how do we connect them to the right resources. Um, they partner a lot with school districts and do a lot of community programming and events in that way. Um, so it's a really nice arm of what we do. Um, and then we have our Eaton Town Outreach Office, which is all of our in-community work. We have a very large uh, DCF contract. Um, and so we do therapeutic visitation where we help try and re reunite families who are involved in DCF and foster care. Uh, we have mentors and behavioral assistants. We do, you know, in-home work where we'll send clinicians right out and do intense family work right in their home. Um, you know, and so it, we really get into the meat and potatoes of what's going on with the family when you're out in the community with them. Um, and our, our team works really closely with uh, the DIFAS workers or DCP and P workers now, um, and the referral sources to try and make sure that families can stay whole. And ultimately the goal is, is to help families be the best that they can be. Um, and then in our outpatient office, the outpatient office is your typical outpatient mental health and substance abuse facility. We have, you know, traditional individual and group, adult IOP, substance abuse, and, and we have mental health services as well. Um, and the nice thing that we've been able to do with that program is our children and adolescents mental health program, which is hosted out of the outpatient office in Matawan. About six years ago, we started partnering with um, a couple of local school districts to provide the same outpatient services you would get here in the office on school campuses. 
um, in an effort to eliminate some of those barriers, such as transportation and scheduling with parents. Um, and that has taken off like wildfire. And we went from seven schools to today we are licensed at 92 and we'll be over a hundred schools by February. Um, and so we're really meeting the need of the community in the community where we take your traditional, you know, outpatient model um, for therapy for kids and we offer it right on a school campus. Um, and it allows us to partner with the schools, which is really, again, that collaborative approach. You're really meeting all of the needs right there on the school campus. Um, and it's really taken off. So that's probably one of our largest programs at this point. That's amazing. I, I had no idea about that. So you're in schools providing uh, counseling service to children and their families within the school building? Mm-hmm. Yep. Wow. Um, how has the context of the pandemic impacted th- that work? Um, so there's a couple of sub questions. Uh, let me get out there, and then you can speak freely on it. All is is one is are you are you seeing an uptick in in need for your services within your outpatient facility? And then also um, what how have the needs of families and members changed uh, during this time? So we had to shift our traditional way of working with individuals and providing counseling services on a dime. So on March 20th, my whole counseling and social services team went out on remote work. um, And on Monday, the 23rd, we launched all of our programs via telehealth model through Zoom. Um, in a matter of days, we had a business associate agreement with Zoom. We had enough Zoom accounts for all of the users, made sure everybody had what they needed, and we started doing telehealth work, um, which has really been an interesting journey because when you're used to doing clinical work and counseling work, um, part of doing that work is the relationship that you have with the person and you know speaking with somebody and being able to read body language and, and kind of pick up on the nuances, which is really very challenging when you are looking at, you know, a square or a rectangle with somebody's face in it. You know, you lose some of that interpersonal communication. You, you lose that some of that interpersonal experience. Um, but my staff have done an amazing job of really overcoming those obstacles and still meeting the needs of the community and engaging even small four and five-year-olds on Zoom and doing play therapy via a Zoom call, which is just mind-boggling how you can do that. Um, you know, so I'm grateful that we've had the opportunity and the, and the platform to do that. And the staff have done, have had to overcome multiple obstacles to be able to utilize Zoom. And they, they did it just an amazing job of doing that. Um, I couldn't be more proud of the work that they've done, you know, and now that we're at a point where the majority of my staff are back in the field, all of our in-home and in-community programs are back in the field and have been since July. Um, All the bricks and mortars, like the outpatient office, we started transitioning back to in-person services in July as well. It is a slow go because we are noticing that people are a little apprehensive. and there's still some caution and some fear related to, you know, how do you not get sick? Um, you know, we have all of the necessary PPE that we could possibly need. Um, we follow all of the CDC guidelines. We're screening everybody before we see them, before they even come into the office. Um, 
So we're still, it's still a, still a journey. We're still encouraging people that it's okay. It's safe to be in person, um, but we still have people who are electing to primarily just use telehealth. So um, you can do both. You can do both. We're doing a hybrid right now. Um, and we, we will be able to do a hybrid till 90 days post um, the end of the health pandemic by Governor Murphy. So once he says we're no longer in a pandemic, we have 90 days post that to transition out of telehealth and back into strictly in-person services, unless legislation changes it and allows us to continue to do it from here on out. But nobody really knows what to expect at this point. Um, to your point of, has there been a, a change in need for services? Um, so right now we're seeing an increase in mental health requests. Um, we are anticipating uh, an increase in substance abuse services in the upcoming months because we know that, you know, with isolation and with um, social distancing, it allows people to overindulge or and allows those who struggle with addiction to be in active addiction. Um, and so we are anticipating that there will be an uptick in those kind of referrals in the upcoming months as well. Thank you. Uh, so as within your work with within your work with YMCA's outside of your own association, ha, have you been in heard from Wise or been in touch with Wise who are looking to uh, and pardon the contemporary uh, overuse of the word pivot from from a history of offering more traditional YMCA programs and services towards this kind of social service, social work, emotional health programs and services within their communities? So we have, right at the beginning of the pandemic, I, I developed a very brief kind of handbook roadmap um, that at some point I will probably develop much further than it is now. I'm kind of highlighting and outlining how you would get involved in this kind of work. Um, it is really a journey to get here. It is not It is not easy to just you know pop up a shingle and say, this is what we do for a living. Um, there are a lot of obstacles with licensure and funding and payers. Um, you know, We were lucky enough that that was all started grassroots for us many, many, many years ago. Um, and we've been able to build on it. And so, you know, we have the relationships with the state for getting licensed. We have the reputation, um, you know, starting grassroots is difficult and requires a certain amount of funding to just kind of get it up and going. Um, but I have put together like timelines and what it would project costs and stuff like that. Um, and we did talk to quite a few wise to share about this is what we do because the question was, well, how do we do it? Um, and so we shared what, you know, I shared here, this is what it looks like. And this is, you know, what you would have to go through. And this is kind of the timeline. And, um, you know, we're here to kind of act as a consultant and support you in that process, should you want to go down that road. Um, so yeah, you know, I think that there's a, a huge shift to how do we do this? And I think maybe starting small with, you know, some grassroots stuff, applying for grants and being able to do, you know, just maybe some basic prevention work or you know, um, mentoring kind of things that don't require licensed professionals who, who are you know, doing the actual counseling work might be a good place to start. 
That is very, very interesting. I'm so glad that you spoke about that. And I, I hope that our listeners um, are, are taking note of, of that as it may pertain to the work and potential changes and transitions that their associations are going to have to go through in order to um, fill gaps and maintain essential relevance in their communities. Um, at least that's kind of my personal opinion about that. Um, what have you found? What do you, what do you know about what tend to be the barriers for that, uh, for, for wise? Funding is always a huge barrier. <laughs> um, and kind of the, so wise typically don't have the knowledge of, of, you know, licensure and always the understanding of the, the behavioral health world, right? So for all of us who work in the behavioral health world, we all went to college for it, we went to grad school for it. Most of us carry a minimum of one license or more. Um, and so it's it's a part of our language. You know, much like this is my language, I struggle to to speak the language of, you know, the the swim team and the camp and the gyms because it's not necessarily the arena in which I usually hang out in. Um, so, you know, kind of having either somebody who has that experience and knowledge and knows the language to be the person who can kind of lead that charge, um, I would think would be an obstacle in and of itself. What about stigma? I feel like in today's eight day and age, stigma is not where it used to be. Um, I think people are far more open. The concept and the conversations regarding mental health and behavioral health and self-care and mindfulness are integrated into so many aspects of what we do. It is, it's even at the school level. I mean, there's a significant amount of programming at the schools for social and emotional learning. We partner with the schools to discuss that on a regular basis and how are we meeting the needs of those students. Um, I, so I think there's been a lot of education around that. And the other piece that is really nice for us, you know, doing behavioral health through a why is the why in and of itself is non-stigmatizing, right? So when you think of, I have to go to a behavioral health provider, I mean, anyone in your community, you know, there might be some stigma around, oh, look who's walking into that building. But when you say, oh, I'm going to see my counselor from the why, they're from the why. Like nobody thinks that there's any stigma associated with that, right? So it kind of helps create a safe space for a lot of people because it's not as terrifying as hearing, oh, you have to go see this private practitioner, or you have to go see this psychiatrist, I'm going to the why. Um, so that kind of helps us in that process with whatever stigma or whatever perceptions people may have about seeking behavioral health. I hadn't really thought about it like that. That's, that's, that makes perfect sense. We leverage the reputation of the why in communities and in culture to destigmatize the need for behavioral health services. Um, that's got to be good for folks. That must make it a lot easier. Um, it's probably a lot easier than, you know, getting in the car and going to a clinic you've never been to before. Exactly. Um, well, we are, uh, we're, we're starting to get towards the end of our time. Um, I want to be mindful of your time and, and I'm, cannot be more grateful for this conversation. Uh, uh, this, this work is, is important to me. And as somebody who works with children and families all the time, 
as we wrap up, I, I, I would like to ask you a couple of just personal professional things. So what are you currently reading and reviewing for your own professional development to keep you on the edge of the services and advice and leadership that you're providing in this relatively uncharted territory? Um, I have a pro- couple of professional um, subscriptions that I apply to and I get them via email. So there are articles and stuff like that, that I consider, you know, read on a daily or weekly basis. Um, you know, on top of doing what I do for the why, I also have a private practice. So wanting to make sure that I stay up uh, on abreast of like, you know, the clinical interactions and, you know, kind of using my peers as sounding boards to continue to make sure that the clinical work is, is on point for my staff as well as for myself these, these days. So what should we stay away from? What should we not be reading right now? You should not be watching the news. You should not be reading the newspapers. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much stuff out there that I think oh, just creates. Why did, why did you know, I know you were going to say that? <laughs> chaos for people. Inconsistencies. That's what it is. When the information is inconsistent, it creates fear for people. Um, and you can change the channel five times in the same hour and get five different stories. And so... I caution people to regulate exposure. That's that's great advice. Not only inconsistencies, but literal contradictions mm-hmm. within the same network. Um, thank you very much. And then finally, uh, given the opportunity, uh, you know, as we as we close out, what would be what what is your overall message to why employees uh, listening to this? Um, you know, as part of, of their own work and, uh, you know, as they go forward into the next phase or the next chapter? I think that, you know, the takeaway is, this, it's my favorite one, is just take a deep breath and have some grace with yourself and have some grace with everybody else because we are all in this together. We will all figure a way to get through this. We will all come out the other side of this someday and look back and go, wow, I cannot believe that that's what that was. I cannot believe how much, you know, we've had to change. I can't believe how much that we've had to grow as individuals and professionally professionally, because that's what this is. This is an opportunity for growth in every aspect of your life because we've never gone through this before. And so we will come out of this even stronger than we went into this if we can give one another just a little bit of grace and understanding that this is difficult for everybody. Give yourself and each other a long leash. Thank you very much, Leanne. Uh, Leanne Wagner uh, of the Greater Monmouth YMCA, thank you for sharing all this time with me and with YPN. Uh, A big thank you as well to our YPN listeners and members for all of your hard work serving New Jersey's YMCA communities and youth development, healthy living and social responsibility. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk again soon, Leanne. Have a wonderful rest of your week. You too. Thanks, Mike.